we gather here that you might teach us. Put the speaker behind the cross that Jesus Christ alone is seen and heard. May your Holy Spirit minister to us. May he teach us. May he challenge our thinking. May he put something in our minds and in our hearts that will cause us to reflect more and more upon the God in whom we serve. And that, Lord, your desire for us is nothing but good. You desire us, O God, to live life to the fullest, but to live it within the boundaries in which you set. And Lord, your desire is to show us off. As godly men and godly women, you want to parade us in front of others whose life Satan is destroying, that they might see for themselves how good God really is. That we can say, this is not something I have done, but this is something that my God has worked in my life and has transformed me. Lord, May your word, O oh God, continue to transform us. May your word continue to build us. May your word continue to give us knowledge on how we should live and how we should conduct ourselves in this life, in this day, for your glory. Minister to us, Lord, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're picking back up on this whole subject of fruit from John 15. Because God desires us to be what? Fruitful. Fruitful in our own lives. God wants you to be fruitful in your life. That's what's important. That you are able to do good deeds, good works that are fruitful. And you can see the fruit yourself. And you can know you didn't do it. But God did it. Now, go back with me to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> and what I want you to pick up again. Somewhere where we left off last week. These two things have to be vital in your life. If these two things are not foundational in your life, nothing else then matters. You're just playing religious. You're just coming into church and going out of church. Because these two things are not foundational to you. And when you allow them to become foundational to you, at that point, God has something to build on. God has something to build on when these two things become foundational in your life. He says in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. You have to ask the question, have you really been raised up by Christ? Are you raised with Christ? Have you seen yourself dead and yet alive in Christ? He says you've been raised with Christ. 
Set your heart. Set your heart. Who has to do that? You do. You have to set your heart. You have to focus. You have to seek. You have to desire it. You have to want it. Set your heart on things where? Above. Why? Because a change is taking place. But if your thinking is only right here on earth, if your thinking is only about your husband, your boyfriend, your children, your situation, then you're not thinking upwardly. You're only thinking earthly. And he says, I want you to focus up here, not down here. If you focus up here, I'll take care of the things down here in your life. I want you to focus on this up here. And you have to focus yourself that you're going to seek after God. You're going to want more of Him. You're going to want to understand Him more. If you don't do that, there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to build on. Because you have to make it up in your mind that you're going to focus on this. I'll never forget when I started college I had to focus on school. And I have a wife and three children. But my main focus had to be on that classwork. Not on the others if I was going to get through. Teachers or professors don't care if you're married, don't care if you have three children, don't care what your finances are. Only thing they care about when it comes time for that test, are you ready for the test and will you pass the test? That's all. They don't want no excuses. Well, I had to spend time with my wife. Me and my wife had to take a weekend off. It don't work. That professor wants you to be ready for his test, period. That you're focusing on his material. God wants you to focus on his material. He wants to teach you. He wants you to focus on him. Not all this other stuff. He'll take care of the other stuff if you focus on him. And then he says the second thing. He says, now, set your mind on things above. This is something that he says, now, you fix it. Just like that picture over there is fixed on the wall. It will not what? Move. We'll all be shocked if that picture said, I want to come off the wall and I want to put myself over here. or I want to put myself over there. But that picture is fixed. And God says, I want you to fix your mind on me. Seek and fix. Although both words are set, they're two different Greek words. Well, one of them, yes, you are seeking, and the other one, you are fixing. You fix your mind on God. And the things that are above. And he says, set your mind on things above. Not on earthly things. Not on what? 
And where's most of our minds most of the time? On what? Earthly things. And the reason our minds are on earthly things is because we do not believe God loves us or cares for us. When I become saved, I become the responsibility of God. I don't have my own responsibility in a sense. God has the responsibility of taking care of me. Just like a child when it comes into this world. It becomes the parent's responsibility to do what? Provide for that child. To raise that child. When you become a born-again Christian, it becomes God's responsibility to raise you, to care for you, provide for you, to meet all your needs. It becomes God's responsibility. Why? That's the only way you can be set free of seeing about who? Me. That I can serve him and really focus on him and be fixed on him. Now, what I want you to do with me is go to Philippians 1, 9 through 10, to give you a little bit of understanding why this seeking and this fixing has to take place. Colossians 1, 9 and 10 first. I mean, Philippians 1, 9 and 10. For that you can understand now why you have to seek and why you have to fix. If you don't understand it, you won't do it. But if you can understand why, there's a possibility you might do it. So, he says in Philippians 1, in verse 9 and 10, he says, And this is my prayer, Paul says, that your love, now this is what Paul says, may abound more and more. Not just that you love the Lord, but that you are now growing what? In love with the Lord. It continues to grow. It becomes more and more and more. It's just not infatuation with his miracles. He's just not caught up with the little things he do. But you really are falling in love with a person, Jesus Christ. And he says that may abound more and more in what? Knowledge. The more knowledge you have of God, the more you're going to love him. The less knowledge you have, the less you're going to love him. The more knowledge you have, the more you're going to appreciate him. The less knowledge you have, little appreciation. But the more knowledge that you gather of God, the bigger your God becomes. But the lack of knowledge just keeps you talking about him as God. Not as nothing magnificent and wonderful and amazing. And he says, may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. You're gathering what? Insight. When you seek him, when you run after him, you're going to gather more insight about him. When I ran after Elaine, I gathered more insight about her. When you run after some, you gather more insight about them. When you're watching somebody, you gather more insight about them. And you want to have insight in order to make a good decision of how close that person becomes in your life. 
A lot of you don't know you bring dangerous people into your life because you have no what? Insight. You bring people into your life that rip you off. You bring people into your life that just uses you. You bring people in your life that steals from you. You bring people into your life that just rob all your energy but give nothing back. Because you have no what? Insight of them. But when you study a person and you focus your eyes on a person, and you watch a person, you gather insight of a person. One thing about Elaine, I gathered insight. She's not going to live on McDonald's. See, I can stop at Speedway, and I can have dinner for about $2 and something, because I'll get two of them hot dogs for a dollar, Let's say big. See? See? You get a drink for 99 cents, and I'm just a happy camper. Now let me try to take Elaine to Speedway for dinner. You gather insight. And as you gather insight, you know how to respond to a person. And you see how that person responds back to you. And he simply says there, boy, knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. Catch that. When you gather insight, you can discern what is best. And may be pure and blameless. You are able to discern what's really best for you when you have insight. You're able to make good choices between that which is good. Well, I'm going to use this other word that really is not a word. Gooder. You're able to discern. What is the best thing for you? A lot of you, sometimes, you can't discern what is the best thing for you. And that's where God comes in at. And he says, that thing that is pure, there's no defilement in it. There's no substituteness in it. We used it up in the kids' classroom. How do you distinguish that which is pure? How many of you have ever tasted milk that's went sour? What do you do with it? <laughs> yeah. Why? Some ingredient has gotten in there and is no longer just pure milk. It's something that's caused it to be bitter, untasteful. That's what happens in people's lives. That something gets in there and causes it to be bitter and untasteful. Remember what the Lord says in Revelation? He will spew you what? Out of his mouth because you become untasteful. And, and without seeking him, you're not going to know this. You're not going to know how to discern what is really best for you. You're going to miss it by a mile. Second one, 
over in Colossians chapter 1. Again, verses 9 and 10. Boy, if you don't have these verses underlined, you need to underline. You need to mark them. Go back over them and think about them. Because he says, in the seeking and the fixing of your mind, you begin to gather the understanding. So he says in that verse 9, he said, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying. Remember in both verses, Paul talks about praying for who? Praying for you. And asking God to fill you with the knowledge. There's the word knowledge again. Why? Don't ever think God doesn't want you to have knowledge about him. When somebody really cares about you, they want you to have knowledge about them. There's no secrets withheld. One of the things I do in marital counseling, and I share with them, we're going to be honest with each other. If I find that we can't be honest, then we might as well end this because you can't build something on a lie. And one of the honesty areas which is very hard for men, men hear me, is to come in my office and lay out their finances. <laughs> Show me how you budget. Show me how you handle your money. What a lot of women don't understand the way men handle their money will be the way they'll handle you. How valuable are you? See, to men, their money is what? Valuable. <laughs> but when they can open up and share that with you, because oftentimes men want to hide part of that. They're not willing to let go of it. See, there is no such thing as 50-50 in a relationship. It's 100%, 100%. I'm giving 100%, you give 100%. I do not expect 50% from Elaine, and she don't expect 50% from me. It's 100% that we give to each other. And... <coughs> And he says, I want you to have knowledge of me. Why? God wants to give all himself to you. But what is he expecting from you? All of yourself. All of yourself. 100% of you. And God said, I want you to know me. I want to give 100% of myself to you. That you know me. That you have knowledge of me. That you grow in the knowledge of me. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm not going to keep any secrets from you. I'm not going to hide anything from you. You're going to have a hundred percent of me. The good, bad, and ugly. You're going to have of me. Somebody saying, well, what's the bad side of God? Well, he disciplined you. <laughs> we don't like that. We got good parents until they get ready to whoop us. We got good parents as long as they give me what I want. And he goes on there and he says, this is the reason he wants you to have knowledge. One is knowledge of his will. He wants you to know how he thinks. 
how he sees things. That you would have knowledge of his will. That you know how he wants things to be. See, one of the things Elaine and I did before we ever got married, we, we would sit with each other and we would talk about how we perceive marriage. We would talk about, and we were young. We were only 19 years old. But we would talk about what I would, respect, what I would expect out of a wife, what she expected out of a husband. She even told me about what she wanted in her home. And I always tried to give her that type of a home because she always wanted a dining room and fireplace. That was vital and a big kitchen. So I've always tried to give those things because I know that's what she wanted. And she's always tried to give me what I want. Why? We learned about each other. We cared about each other. And one way we express our love for each other is that we desire to give that to each other. And God says, I care about you. I want to know you and I want you to know me. I want you to know my will. I want you to know how I think. I want you to know what I care about you. And he goes on and he says, knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and guess what? Understanding. You begin to understand how God functions. You begin to understand how God acts. Now Elaine can tell you without me being there. No, Gus ain't going to do that. <laughs> no, uh, no, I don't think Gus will care for that. And she can just about tell you about me because she understands me. Okay. She'll tell you real quick. When it comes to money, it makes him nervous. He even shakes when he signs. You know? okay. And the whole process is that I'm comfortable just being home. I don't have to run the street. I don't have to be out here and out there. I'm comfortable being at home. Now, one thing I want at home, and she's always provided it, a clean home. A clean home. And she's always made home welcoming. I could go on a trip and come back. Boy, it was going to be welcoming to get back home. It was a good feeling to get back home. A man should never grudge going home. And God wants you like that in this relationship with him. That you never grudge coming home to him. He wants you to feel welcome in his presence. And he says, you'll have understanding of me. And when you understand somebody, you feel at ease in their presence. When you don't understand, that's when you don't feel easy. You don't feel relaxed. You don't feel comfortable. And for some people, you get talking about God too much, they got to leave. They got to go. Why? They're not comfortable in the presence of God or the things of God. I can stand it for five minutes maybe. 
But don't try to spring it on me no 20 minutes or half hour. That's too long. And then he goes on, he says, and we pray this in order that you, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Why? That you can live a life worthy. That you can really see God and you're, you're, you are fixed on God. And because you are seeing him, you're seeking him, you're fixed on him. Now, you can really understand him and your life, what? Conforms to what he wants it to be, not what you want to be. And he says, and we pray that this order that you may live a life worthy. And the question all of us have to ask is this. Are we living a life worthy of God? Of the Lord? And catch this next one. And please him in every way. Now we jump back to John 15 in a sense. Look what it says. When your life please him, when you understand him, you're seeking him, you're fixed on him. He says, in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. That when you're bearing fruit, something else is happening. You're learning about God. Why? God's the one who's pruning. God's who's cutting off. God's the one who's fertilizing. God is the one who's taking care of the tree, taking care of the life that you can bear forth fruit. But in all that of bearing fruit, you're experiencing him. You're experiencing him. You're experiencing him when you're bearing that fruit. And that's important because that's what he wants to take place. That's what he wants to take place. That you yourself are bearing fruit. Now go back with me to Colossians 3 and go, and go to verse 5 with me. Because it comes to a very important part that you and I have to make a decision on. You have to decide who you're going to live for. And you have to decide how you're going to live. See... A lot of us want a million dollars without ever working. I was sharing with two older guys at an appliance store. Been going to them for years. Had to go get a refrigerator handle. And I was sharing with the one, the other one standing over there doing his work. I said, you two guys got to find some younger people to bring in here and pull your knowledge into. He said, they don't want to learn. They want a paycheck, but they don't want to learn. Then this other guy next to me, he says, we're correcting one of those young men's problems now. He said, for six months, we've been trying to find good help. And we can't find it. He said, now, we have a dishwasher we're repairing, redoing, and we're going to have to basically do it free because of the mess he made. And we're going to lose money. The process of life is this which a lot of people don't want to understand, especially men. We have to learn. We have to be taught. Just because I'm over 18 or 21 does not mean the teaching process has stopped. But most of us go off on our own. 
doing our own thing. And that's why God says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways do what? Acknowledge him. That's why God said, there's a safety in a multitude of counselors. You want more than just your own reasoning. You want more than just one or two persons view on something. You want to get some good sound counseling when you're ready to make a decision. In that verse 5, here comes the challenge. He says, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And then he's going to begin to describe to us some of this stuff of our earthly nature. Which oftentimes for us, we just take it for granted. This is how I am. This is what I really am. This is what I'm supposed to be. No, God created you to be something far better than what you assume you are. God has created you to be far better than what you could ever imagine you could be. But the question is, is this, are you willing to exchange what you're building on in order for God to do the building? That's the big issue. And God says, now, put to death all these natural affections and all these natural way of thinking, all this natural stuff that is only earthly, and I want you to think from above. I want you to see life differently from above. I want you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear my word coming into your life, streaming into your life. I want you to hear it. Don't thank Satan while you're here. Satan is doing this to a lot of us. He's doing, oop. Why? He doesn't want you to hear. Don't think Satan won't distract you. That you'll be busy doing this rather than hearing this. Why? Because he doesn't want you to really catch it. So Satan will distract. Satan will deceive. Satan will stop you from hearing. And even that, Satan will blind you to truth. Now, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, he starts with. Why? That is the biggest thing that Satan uses, is our sex. He corrupts sex. Don't get me wrong, sex is good. But sex can also be sinful. God created me a sexual being. That's why he put boundaries on it. And he says, it's great in the marriage bed. In the marriage bed. Outside of the marriage bed, he says, is wrong. It hurts. It damages. And he says that whole process, sexual immorality, it also carries with it the word fornication. Fornication is simply sex outside of marriage. Adultery 
covers those who have sex outside of what? The marriage. Fornication covers those who are not married. They're having sex without being married. It's fornication. A married man having sex outside of his marriage or the woman is adultery. Outside. And the whole process, you'll never see the word homosexuality really in the Greek. It's not there. But scripture implies it. So when a homosexual tells you, you know, you'll, you'll never find that word in the Bible. It's one that was put in there, yes, but you'll never find it in the original or in the Greek. You won't find homosexuality. You won't find lesbianism. But you find it in this immoral thing when you begin to break the Greek word down. You find it in other places when you begin to break the Greek word down. It's implied in it. In which way? Fornication means to be outside of the rules or the codes of what we just said, immoral lifestyle. Now the question you've got to ask is this, who sets the morals? Who set the code? Who says what the limits or the boundaries are? If man does that, it's okay for us to have group sex. If man says that, it doesn't matter if me and Roscoe hook up. Better not, Roscoe. The whole, the whole process is this. It doesn't matter how it is carried out. But when it's carried out outside of the word of God, then it's immoral. It's without restraints. It's without any regulations. It's without any rules governing it. I'm grown. I can do it. So I do it. Now understand this. God never said, don't have sex. He just put it within a confinement called marriage. And everything outside of that, he sees it as immoral. Sex outside of marriage, sex with relatives, is called incest. See, a man and a woman both have to check themselves because in Leviticus 18, it talks about the mother sleeping with the son. But it also talks about the father sleeping with the daughter. If those rules were not there, there would be nothing there to govern man. So therefore, sex could just be with anybody. It could be with the daughter, the cousin, the sister-in-law, with this person or that person. But when the rules apply, the code is applied, then it's limited. And that's the part, as human beings, we don't like because we don't want to be what? Limited. We want to be able to do our thing. And God is saying, no, this is for you. Because, see, what we don't see is the psychological effect that takes place 
when we sleep around, you don't see the effects. When a man sleeps around, even when he sleeps with his wife, in his mind he has all these others. When a woman sleeps around, it's strange about the mind. It holds the memories. And even though you're sleeping with your husband, you're sleeping what? With the others in the memory. And it's hard to divorce yourself from what? From the memory. Of how this one touched you compared to how this one touched you. How this one did this for you and how this one may not. It's in here now. And God created us to be able to have this clean mind for we can function properly. Properly. And then God says simply adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbian. How do I know homosexuality and lesbian is wrong? Even though God didn't say it, he only made Adam and Eve. If he wanted them to have a different partner, if he would have put another man and another woman there and said, multiply, it would have still left out what? Two men can't get together and what? Two women can't get together and what? God's code is a man and a woman. Period. For sexual relationship. And then he comes back and he confines it further. Only in the marriage. Only in the, if you If you could stand up here sometime when I do a marriage and see the faces of other people, especially when somebody who the community know has been a, around the block a couple of times and they come parading in in white. Boy, if you could see the faces when the people look at them. That old hypocrite. Man, them thoughts just come screaming, crunching. She ain't no virgin. I know about her life. I know his life too. You know. But here they come parading down the aisle as though nothing never what? Happened. The reason the father gives away the bride is that the father, the young lady, stayed home with the father until she married. But while she's at home, he's protecting her from all invaders. From all invaders. He's the covering for her. So when he brings her down the aisle, he is saying to a group of people, I'm giving my daughter away as a virgin. My daughter is clean. My daughter is pure. And he brings her down and gives it to the other man. That's why in Deuteronomy, when you see the father has to go after that husband, he's going after the husband because the husband is not only bringing a charge against his wife, he's bringing a charge against the father that the father sold him something that was not pure or right. Immoral is not in conformity 
with the accepted principle. And what our society is trying to do is change the principle of God. And we take a wrong behavior as society and we try to justify it and say, well, they love each other. They care about it. If somebody really loves you, why won't he give you his name? If somebody really loves you, that's why I tell the men, a woman can take her money and spend it any way she wants to spend it. She can throw it out the window. You're responsible to take care of her. Now, if you really love her, you'll do that. No matter what she's doing. And a lot of times in my office, men will start arguing. No, she got to pay 50% of this bill. No, she got to do this. She got to bring her money. No, you're asking to marry her. We need to understand that. You're asking to marry her. And when you ask, you're saying you're going to take care of her. When you go buy that new car, the car don't ask you, are you going to wax me? Are you going to wash me twice a week? Are you going to put new tires on me? Are you going to really take care of me? When that man go buy that car, guess what he does? He takes care of that car. (laughs) Why can't he do that for the wife or the woman that he says that he loves? Wrong behavior, our society is trying to say, a wrong behavior is okay. Now, the sad part about that is that the church is just about there too. It's contrary to the moral code. Impure is the next word that comes up in that verse 5. And that impure is that it's unclean. What is unclean? It starts with this, impure thoughts. See, if I'm saying I love you, but it's an impure thought, I'm loving what I'm going to basically get from you. I'm not loving you as a person. It's impure. It's impure. There's another ingredient in there. I only love you until I get what I want. And then you become strange and, and, and indifferent. And, and, and the whole process. And this is the terrible thing about this today. At one point, it was just men out deceiving. Today, it's women also deceiving men. I just want to get what I want. And that's a unclean motive because your motive is not right towards that person. Your motive is not honest towards that person. It's unclean. It's impure. It's not proper. It's not right. And then he moves on. He says lust. Lust is something that's not regulated. It's disordered is lacking restraints. When you really lust after something, you just want it, you're going to go after it no matter what rules you break. You just go after it. And that's why he said it's not regulated. Lust is a strong desire that you're going to go after it no matter even if it hurts you. And it's a disordered 
is not done in an orderly fashion. It's not done in a way that is respectful. You don't hear anymore about engagements. You don't hear anymore about courtships. We go out to dinner twice and we in the bed. The whole process is where's the courting? Where's the engagement? Where's the wooing of two people? And what we do, we put down the rules so it's not regulated anymore. There's no restraints here. No, you can't have this just yet until your name goes on some papers. It's not regulated. People say, you don't have to have a marriage license to love each other. I'm going to share something with you. A lot of women get beat up because they don't have a marriage license. Social Security don't want to deal with you if you don't have a marriage license. Your kids have a right to any wealth that their dad has, and so do you. But without a marriage license, it's very hard, hard, and difficult to get. Many companies, though a man works for them for 20 years or so, Oh, you might get the life insurance because you're put on as the beneficiary. But you can't get the retirement because you're not married to. You don't get the the retirement that's due you because you're not married to. And one day the government is going to really crack down. Because, see, unbeknown to us, there's a lot of people lie on their taxes. The mother's filing what? For the child. But guess who else is filing? And eventually, we're caught. And we wonder why. But the woman gets cheated because if that man was to die in an accident, she gets basically zero. But if she has that little piece of paper she can be very wealthy she can be very wealthy and so the man also if the wife is making six figures and she got a good retirement coming or she has a 401k there boy he can roll too then why we have marriage license And people downplay this thing of marriage license. But what gets me about straight people, they don't understand why lesbians and homosexuals want the marriage certificate. It's because of all the benefits that come with it. And yes, straight people, that don't mean nothing. That don't mean nothing. Let me give you a little thought here before The reason you think that way is because you're not in a relationship that's what? Long term. You're in a minute by minute relationship. You're only in it just for a short moment. But when you start looking at a relationship long term, 
you want to cover all your bases. That's what evil desires is the craving, the longing, the desire for what is forbidden. God's rule or God's word says no, but you're going to say what? Yes. God's rule says this is wrong, and you're going to say no, it's right for me. God says this, but you give another excuse for it. That's that evil desire, that craving. And then the greed is the desire to have more. Even if you've got to lie and cheat for it, you just want more. And then comes in that verse 6, he says, because of these things, the wrath of God comes. Because of these things in your life, you're not receiving, though you hear from people, oh, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. No, you're not receiving the blessings of God. You are receiving punishment and wrath and don't even know it. And then you wonder, why don't I get ahead? Why don't life get better for me? Why don't I benefit? Because God is standing in your way. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now, he says in that verse 7, this is how you used to live. I used to live that way. Before I knew the Lord, I used to live that way. All of you, before you met the Lord, you lived a different style of life. And he said, here comes that hard part again. Remember what we started off with in verse 5? You have to put it to death. He's right back to it. You must rid yourself of all such things. It is good the way the Holy Spirit puts Scripture together. And sometimes when I'm doing it, boy, it just comes, Lord, you're right. You're right, Lord. He puts this here. And remember what he says, the wrath of God comes. But I want you to see what takes place with you with all these things. One They bring on anger. When you're in a relationship and it goes sour, what happens? Anger. When you're sleeping with somebody who you think love you and discover they don't love you and they're sleeping with two or three others, what happens? Rage. Then malice comes in. And then slant that dirty old. And then you begin to cuss them out. And I never put this together with what takes place up above. That these things happen in me. What destroys me from being fruitful. Because my mind is not on what? Heavenly things. My mind, my heart's not fixed on God. They're fixed on what? Earthly things. And when my mind and heart is fixed on earthly things, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be in a rage and upset. And I'm going to be malicious and I'm going to slander folks and I'm going to use filthy language. 
like filthy language is going to change it. You cuss somebody out, what did it change? Not a thing. Closing. Oh, come back here. I think I'm closing. Follow with me. Because he says, now verse 7, we're just going to read down through verse 10. Then we'll pick back up again next week. You used to walk in these ways. In the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself. Who has to do it? Who has to take the responsibility about how they live and what they let into their life? You're the doorkeeper to your heart. You're the doorkeeper to your mind. You're the doorkeeper to your feelings. You are. Nobody else. You can, you can say, oh, yeah, they, they just walked all over me. But I showed them. I just cussed them out. Well, first of all, who allowed them to walk over? Because if you don't have enough sense to walk away, you're right, you're going to get walked over. When somebody is misusing you and you don't have enough sense to walk away, when somebody's hurting you, you should have enough sense to walk away. When somebody's taking advantage of you, you should have enough sense to walk away. He says, but you must rid yourself of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self. What's happened? You've taken off your old what? Now one way you know if you've taken off your old self is by going back over these scriptures and see how your conduct is. See how your thinking is. See how your mouth runs. And the other thing, Check your feelings. He says, take off your old self. Again, who's responsible for that? I can't say Elaine made me do it. Elaine can't say to me, you made me do it. Who's responsible for Elaine? Who's responsible for Gus? Take off your old self with its practices, with your habits, with your behavior, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in what? Knowledge. You're being renewed, you're changing, because you're gathering knowledge about the one who you are seeking and the one in whom. You have set your mind upon. And when you seek and you fix your mind on God, He's going to change you. He's going to change you. And sometimes it's not pleasant because other people will begin to say, What's wrong with you? Oh, you think you holier than thou. Oh, you think you somebody special, huh? You think you're better than me. No. 
I just changed my address from earthly to heavenly. That's all. And now I'm living not on the earthly plane, but on the heavenly plane. Amen? Father, your word is a challenge to us to die to ourselves, to get rid of, to put off the old. And Lord, together a new way of thinking. We're so comfortable in our old way of thinking. We're comfortable in our old life. We think somehow we have control, which is a big conception, the deception that takes place. Because in this life, we never have control. It's either God is in control of my life or Satan's in control of my life. And all I have to do is look at my life and I can determine which one, if I'm honest with myself, who has control of it. For you've said, Lord, no person can serve two masters. He'll either love the one and hate the other. Either we'll love you and hate Satan or we're going to love Satan in his life and hate you. Help us, Lord, to discern. Help us to know how to choose what's best for us. Help us, oh God, to desire your will. I want to do your will. And lastly, Lord, Give us the strength and the courage to face a new future by putting off the old and trusting you as we walk day by day. May you minister to us, Lord. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name.